Grant. And I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. That's right. This history report is being filed jointly. Did you already do that one? It's another one from my greatest hits collection. <laughs> uh, in any case, we've got our first sort of request being filled. Yeah. A long time ago, we mentioned we... Uh, uh, strong-armed someone who works at our optometrist office oh, to yeah. listen to the show. Yeah. And he said, y'all should do something about the Apollo program. Yeah. And I said, eventually, maybe. And now here we are talking about Soviet space dogs. So I'm excited about this because mm -hmm. there's dogs. Yes. I'm also very upset about this because I bet a bunch of them are going to die. Less than you might expect, but, so, but so yeah. This doesn't get a bummer warning. I'm not going to start, like, bawling. Once again, to the viewers, I say, know thyself. I know myself. <laughs> I don't want to listen to this. <laughs> but I'm excited to get to this one because I don't think we've done any science history yet. Uh, uh, aside yeah. from some, like, stories in other episodes, like Dr. Beaumont, for example. Uh-huh. But I think this is our first, like, full-on science history episode, 100%. Yeah. So, let's set the stage. Uh, it's 1955, and the United States and the USSR are locked in a cold war. Uh, they both announce within a month of one another that they will begin launching artificial satellites into orbit. This is the dawn of the space race. Bum, bum, the, the space race was a way of demonstrating technological and ideological superiority. Not only, like, look at the cool stuff we can do that you can't, but we're able to do it because our model for society is the correct one. Look at me. I'm so much cooler than you. Yeah, my rockets can go to the moon. I bet Meh. you can't do that. They're basically whining at each other. <laughs> well, better that than throwing nuclear missiles back well, and forth. Well, yeah. But, like, they were just having hissy fits at each other. But, yeah, uh, it was also a way of demonstrating missile launch technology while looking like an altruistic scientific endeavor. Because if you can launch something into orbit, theoretically, you can drop a bomb anywhere, anytime. So the, the space race was also a way of making that theoretically bit practical. Mm-hmm. But before people could be sent up, scientists needed to test their capsules and iterate and, and learn just what happens to a body up there where people ain't never been before. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the United States used monkeys and then uh, apes, but the Soviets decided their primary test subjects would be dogs. Some good, good dogs. I don't like the Soviets. No. You leave the doggies alone. <laughs> Darling, why do you hate monkeys? I mean, leave the monkeys alone too, but aw, I don't like any of this. So th these Soviet scientists, uh, they actually first looked into doing the whole monkey thing because monkeys are, are very similar to mm -hmm. human beings. But they, they spoke to some trainers like, no, you don't want to do that. These things are way too nervous and they, they get way too stressed out. They, they're just a pain. So they're like humans. Basically. We all get way too stressed out, and we're all just big pains. And so that's why scientists began collecting stray dogs from the streets of Moscow uh, as their test flight passengers. 
Uh, strays would be used to stressful living and isolation. The waste collection system, if we're going to be genteel about it, was easier to build for female dog parts. <laughs> so that's why every Soviet space dog was a lady dog. Yeah. Yeah. Easier. There, there were for, a lot of very... Collection. Yeah. There were a lot of very specific requirements. They had to be between 13 to 16 pounds. So they could all wear the same flight suit. Right, and, and fit in the same harnesses. They had to be between two and six years old for the right temperament. How did they know if they were collecting stray dogs? Veterinary estimates. There's no guarantee there, though. No, but I mean, you want the health of some of a dog less than six years and the the like temper of a dog above two years if you even if you don't have a doggy birth certificate you can get close enough okay <laughs> at least they thought so uh the fur on the dogs had to be light enough to show up on their their grainy 1950s video <laughs> feeds properly they couldn't use black dogs racist much <laughs> they they had one dog with black fur that they, they really liked and wanted to see if they could make this work by uh, bleaching the fur with hydrogen peroxide. What? They, they did little test patches, and uh, it didn't really work well enough. It just turned the fur red. The, the dog was unharmed, but they just had a weird checkerboard-looking dog running around the office for a while. What? Poor puppy. Uh, she was never used in a launch. Because they didn't want a red dog. They did not want a black and red checker dog, no. <laughs> so they, they went through uh, training apparatuses and programs to be trained to stay very still. Uh, they, they rode in centrifuges to get them used to G-forces of launch. Uh, they, they got trained to wear their spacesuits comfortably. There, there was one where they sat on a table and then a spring just sort of like, boing! And they had to deal with that. Not be like, ball! <laughs> ah! No, they got jumped. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you just the, meant like the, something the, popped and no, they no. had to like watch it go and not like try to run after it or be scared. Like, no, no, they, they got popped. It was, it was like the jump test. So they like threw the dogs into the ceiling. <laughs> not like violently. They, they weren't injured. Was it just like a little, oh, or like, pew! <laughs> They got some air, but the dogs were okay. They're not cats. <laughs> they don't just, like, land on their feet always. Usually they kind of flop and roll. That is dangerous. <laughs> Going to space is also very dangerous. Yeah, don't send dogs. What do you have against rats, darling? Have you seen the ones in here in Chicago? Like, they need special spacesuits for those rats. <laughs> that thing was the size of a dog. Like, it would fit perfectly fine. It would meet their criteria. <laughs> 13 to 16 pound Yes! Rats. The one I saw at Navy Pier definitely met that criteria. Uh, but, but all through this training program, uh, they were housed in progressively smaller and smaller cages, so they'd get used to the size of the capsule. What if they were claustrophobic? Then they would wash out of the program and, and they wouldn't be sent to space. What did they do with those dogs? A lot of them were adopted. Aww. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good. Uh, also, many, many, I think, yeah, all of the dogs, at least that I know of, that uh, returned to Earth were adopted. Eh, I don't like that sentence. <laughs> uh, the dogs were fed this protein jelly, just a lot of, like, 
vitamins and minerals in, in an agar paste uh, with a whole lot of fiber in there as well. The texture would stick to this special dispenser so it wouldn't just like float in weightlessness. <laughs> and the dog didn't have to go like, I, I. So, so being trained to eat out of this jelly dispenser was really useful too. The, the, the jelly had to be very high in fiber because the dogs got so stressed out, constipation was a big problem. Uh, yeah. No. Like they, they tried as hard as they could, but there are serious ethical concerns. I, I mean, the scientists designing the program yeah, tried okay. as hard as I, they could. I figured that out, but I was like, <laughs> I bet those dogs were trying as hard as they could. <laughs> it's not comfortable for anyone. <laughs> so uh, the first flights didn't get to space, as, as you uh, might choose to define it. There were over 30 suborbital flights launched in the 50s. The exact number is still not known. Even to this day, there are records that are classified or just straight up destroyed and lost. Mm-hmm. Very secretive time. July 22nd, 1951, Desik and Segan are the first dogs launched into suborbital flight. They reached an altitude of nearly 70 miles and were recovered safely, the first vertebrate animals to survive a suborbital flight. Yay! By this point, the Americans had already lost a few monkeys. Aww. I, I guess while we're talking about warnings, it was uh, if you liked my French names last time, <laughs> I, you're going to love my Russian ones. Uh, Desik went on another flight the very next week, but the parachute failed to open. Tsigan oh. uh, was adopted by Anatoly Bogonrovov, who would be responsible for the first joint U.S.-USSR space flight. Oh. And, uh, yeah, all of the world's space capsules are designed to be able to dock with one another, basically because of Anatoly Blagonrovov. And he adopted the, the first dog uh, recovered from suborbital flight. Good for you, Anatoly. You adopt them doggies. Smilaya and Malishka had a successful flight in August of that year that was delayed for a day when Smilaya ran away, but she was recovered. Well, maybe they should have been like, hey, she obviously doesn't want to do this. <laughs> well, uh, a dog named Bullock ran away uh, a little while after that and was never recovered. Instead, uh, her partner was sent up with this random dog that they just found in the compound near the launch site. What? And they named this dog ZIB, which was a, a Cyrillic acronym for replacement for missing Bullock. <laughs> so they just threw this dog that hadn't been through anything into the ship. It was like, good luck. Darling, there's deadlines. <laughs> Why not just send one dog then? <laughs> They obviously there's, weren't going to get a lot of... mission parameters, and there's deadlines. But, like, you're not going to get, like, accurate research by just, like, throwing an untrained dog up there. This one dog is doing okay. This one dog is freaking out! <laughs> Wonder why! Poor ZIB. But they, they were recovered safely. Good. Uh, I'm sure that dog needed therapy. <laughs> Now, th these are just some highlights. Like I said, more than 30 flights, plus who knows how many more. 
Here's a suborbital flight that was meant to be orbital. Uh, uh, December 22nd, 1960, Damka and Krasava were put in a launch that had nearly everything go wrong. Aww. Uh, the launch was meant to reach orbit, but it never did. The third stage of the rocket's engine failed, and it fell back to Earth from a peak of 130 miles. Oof. Uh, it fell back into the Siberian wilderness, where it was negative 40 degrees. Those cold puppies! It was December in Siberia. So cold! Now, you might be wondering, is that negative 40 Celsius or Fahrenheit? It's the same. It's the same! It's the same! That's the point where they it's meet. It's magical. On the graph. It's, it's a magical number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that magic was working for these dogs. Now, in the event of a failure, the capsule was meant to be ejected, and the rest of the rocket would be destroyed in a self-destruct explosion, so it couldn't be recovered by anyone who wasn't supposed to recover it. Neither of those things happened. Oh. So this uh, capsule instead fell to Earth with everything else from 130 miles up and landed in Siberia. After a four-day search, scientists found the ship's remains. They couldn't tell if the dogs had survived, and it was too late and too cold, uh, and the weather was too bad to, to open it up and see. Aww. It was unlikely, to be sure. But then on Christmas morning, the scientist in charge of the dogs, Armin Gerdzain, opened the capsule and heard faint barking. Was Christmas Day like the next day? Yes. Okay. It is, they, they found it late at night on Christmas Eve, and they opened it up Christmas morning. Okay. And luckily, the second self-destruct had also failed, the one on the 60-hour timer. Oh! Uh, Krasavka was adopted and lived another happy 14 years raising her puppies. What about Damka? Was she did not make it? Damka survived as well. Oh, okay. Both survived. Yay! Mm -hmm. We don't have a record of who Damka went home with. Oh. Uh, the rockets designer wanted to make the story public, because this is an incredible story, these miracle Christmas doggies. Yeah. But was stopped by Soviet intelligence, because it would show a flaw in rocket design, and we can't be publicizing that. But Russian puppy resilience. So we're telling the story now. This is this story didn't come out until the wall fell. This, oh boy. this is new. So now that we've talked about an orbital flight that failed, here's the one that succeeded. Laika, the first animal to orbit the Earth. Before there was John Glenn, before there was Yuri Gagarin, there was one good, good dog. Yeah. With a brown spotty face, and she was so sweet. Yeah. 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 In October 1957, Sputnik 1 became the first man-made object to be put into orbit. It's basically a two-foot-wide ball that makes radar beeps. Yeah. It's really all it is, but... October sky. Yes. Just like in October sky. Yeah. I really like that movie. I think I mentioned that in another episode. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. But it still had this massive uh, effect on the Cold War. It, it gave the Soviets their lead in the space race. It had this crack in the American psyche that the Reds have space dominance. Mm. Uh, even though its orbit never actually took it directly above the United States. So was October Sky lying to me? Well, they were looking at an angle. Okay. When when you're that far in space. So, like, it was still visible. Like, that yeah, was... Yeah. that. People could still see it, you mean? It just wasn't like... 
actually above. Yeah. Like, okay. Somebody from the dog park could see me if I waved from the balcony, but I'm not above yeah. them directly. My, I, I started to get like heart palpitations for that. <laughs> I was like, wait, is it a lie? Anyway, that was Sputnik 1. Khrushchev was like, hey, great job. Love it. Do it again next month. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 uh, no problem there. Like I said, dear, there are mission goals and there are deadlines. And obviously the people who are making those decisions are not the ones doing the work. A month later would be the 40th anniversary of the October Revolution. So this was something to be commemorated by a huge success. So people can look at that October sky and see it. <laughs> this episode isn't about October sky. It is but, about... But like, you're talking about October and people looking at the sky and I just like had to. I had to. So dogs, tell me about dogs. In any case, this gave them four weeks to design and build something, something that would top Sputnik and that they could finish in time. So they, they looked around the office. What have we got lying around that, that we can do? Well, we know how to put something in orbit and we have these dog capsules. Let's, let's PB&J this. We gotta, we gotta do what we can do. Give me that duct tape and that lamp. We're gonna make this happen. Uh, so they decided that their their next flight would put the first living thing in orbit and updated their suborbital dog capsule for a seven-day orbital flight. Now, because this was a rush job, and because they had never brought anything back from orbit before, there were no plans for re-entry. After launch, Laika would never again return to Earth, and this was the plan. This was not the plan for any other launch. Every other dog launch, you know, recovery was part of the mission. Except for Laika. Uh, so, Laika was chosen as the flight subject. She was a quiet and charming dog. Two other dogs were selected for this mission. Uh, Albina was Laika's understudy, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and Mushka was the control dog. She would be hooked up to a copy of the capsule on the ground uh, to test instrumentation and life support capability. Mm-hmm. Dr. Vladimir Yazdovsky took her home to play with his children just before the flight because he wanted to do something nice for her. Before closing the hatch, the technicians that put Laika in place kissed her on the nose and wished her bon voyage. She had spent three days in the capsule waiting for that hatch to close, heated by an air hose, as last-minute technical problems were getting ironed out. I'm not okay. I'm not okay over here. It'll be okay, dear. That doesn't sound like it. Sputnik 2 launched on November 3rd, 1957, and Laika achieved orbit in a near-perfect launch. One module from the rocket did not jettison properly, so the thermal control system didn't work as intended. Uh, the official statement was that Laika had lived in orbit for days until uh, she either asphyxiated in her sleep after the, the batteries failed and could no longer scrub the oxygen, or she was humanely euthanized via a, a toxin in her protein goo. Newspapers published updates on Laika's health for a week after the launch. She actually died from overheating after about five hours of flight and four orbits, which was not revealed officially uh, until 2002. Uh. 
this is good. Animal rights groups in the West immediately protested the mission and petitioned NASA to stop using monkeys and chimps in the same way. In 1998, Oleg Gazenko, who selected Laika, expressed regret at doing the mission at all. Quote, the more time passes, the more I'm sorry about it. We shouldn't have done it. We did not learn enough from this mission to justify the death of the dog. I'm very sad. For her singular achievement, no one will be first again, except Laika. And so she is remembered with a statue at the Cosma training facility and the Monument to the Conquerors of Space, which is a really cool name for a monument. Conquerors of Space. Uh, the first memorial to Laika was built in Paris in 1958, actually. A, a granite column was erected in front of the Paris Society for the Protection of Dogs to commemorate the animals who had given their lives in the name of science. Also in 1958, Laika's image became the symbol for the Year of the Dog across Japan, which led to the manufacture of a whole lot of Laika souvenirs. You yeah. Could, you could get all sorts of Laika stuff in Japan. So there have been at least three bands named for her, countless songs, a gorilla's album, a graphic novel by Nick Abadzis, a neo-futurist play from 2011, and, of course, a stop-motion animation studio all bear her name. Japan does the animal years, too? Apparently. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I thought it was just Chinese. It's like the year of Waluigi. Postage stamps with her image were, were issued in Romania, 1957, Albania, 1962, Mongolia, 1963, and Poland in 1964. The USSR's first filtered cigarette had her name and face on the wrapper. Another pop culture note that, that's close to my heart is there is a Doctor Who novel called Alien Bodies, and the prologue has uh, the, the Doctor recovering Laika's body before... Uh, it it re-enters and, and disintegrates in the atmosphere and burying her on an alien world. Aww. It's very sweet. I'm going to pretend that's actually what happened. There, There's also a audio story that has her get rescued by an alien and then given human intelligence and a voice, which I, I'm not as down with that conceptually. I don't know. I'm down with the rescuing. Human intelligence and voice is a little strange. They, like, just let her be a dog. They wanted to make her, her a character her a, in this audio play. A happy dog now, because she finally can just be a dog and not a <laughs> test subject. After the push to simply be first, then there, there was time to do it right. And that's when we get Belka and Strelka, the first animals to return from spaceflight. Uh, they were launched in August 1960 and spent a full day in orbit, along with some friends, like they, a gray rabbit. 42 mice. That's a lot of mice. I wonder how many they had when they came back. Yeah. Mice getting busy. Oh my. Uh, two rats. Well, that's why they only sent one rabbit. <laughs> uh, two rats, some flies, some plants, some fungus. Just a whole menagerie of things up there. What else do we got? Just throw it on there. Send it up. A TV camera was wired into the capsule, and the world saw Belka and Strelka in the first broadcast from space. Uh, they became the living heroes and celebrities that Laika couldn't. Every official wanted a photo op with the dogs. Uh, it was a great honor for, for people to uh, get to meet them, you know, 
people who are, who are being recognized for their work in uh, the communes or the factories or for the party. If you do a really good job, you might get to meet a dog. Yay! <laughs> I love dogs. Uh, portraits of the two dogs, adorably dressed in red and green spacesuits, appeared everywhere. They were on chocolates. They were on matchboxes. They were on postcards, lapel badges, postage stamps as well, and toys. There was a lot of Belka and Strelka merch. Aww. Uh, Strelka had some puppies, and one of her puppies, Pushinka, was given as a gift to President Kennedy. Uh, she was kept under Secret Service observation for a few days to make sure the dog wasn't bugged. Nice. Don't tell Pushinka your secrets. We cannot trust her. Uh, Pushinka had puppies with a Kennedy family dog, and her descendants are still alive in the U.S. Aww. In families that were friends of the Kennedy family. They, they were given away as gifts. Yeah. So later in December 1960, we have uh, Pichulka and Mushka. This is the same Mushka that was Laika's control dog, the, the one on the ground. Yeah. Uh, after one day in orbit, the craft deorbited early, putting it on a trajectory that might let other countries reach the capsule first. So the craft's self-destruct was activated, and Pichulka and Mushka became the last dogs to ever die in space. I hate this episode. I thought you might. I, this is a but, roller coaster. Yeah, I get all happy because of the puppies and stuff. And, and then you tell me more dogs died. But they're the last Soviet space dogs to ever die. That's the end. Ugh, it's too much. Uh, Veterok and Ugolyok, February 1966. This was the last dog flight. Uh, they spent 22 days in orbit to, tr to test... Uh, long-duration flights, and the effect of flying through the Van Allen belt. This broke the record for longest time in space. I mean, Gagarin and the Mercury 7, a lot of human people had been in space at this point, but none of them for 22 days. Mm -hmm. In fact, it would take another five years uh, uh, for the record to be broken by people in uh, uh, 1971. Uh-huh. It is still the the record for longest space flight by dogs. But we don't send dogs that up anymore. No, that's that's so probably that, why. That's probably that would why, be why, yeah. So what was life like after retirement for these dogs? If they were so lucky. If they were so lucky, yeah. The scientists loved having the dogs have puppies after retiring from the program. It demonstrated that they were healthy and, and that space flight didn't have... Uh, the, the sort of long-term effects that, that people might be afraid of. The, the reproductive system is, is a very fragile thing. So if you, if you got puppies, that means it you didn't get broke otherwise. <laughs> I love your hand gestures for this. That's like, ta here you go, puppies. Ta-da! So yeah, each dog that returned from space became a celebrated hero. Uh, none ever as symbolic as Laika or the celebrity of Belka and Strelka as first, but but each one had their time in the sun. They all got put on postage stamps, mm -hmm. every last one of them. Uh, again, exact records don't exist, but only 15 dogs, so far as we know, died in the course of the entire Soviet space program, which includes eight orbital flights and, again, at least 30 suborbital flights. That's not a great record, uh -uh. but I was expecting it to be worse, quite frankly. I guess... But we don't know what they haven't told us. 
That is true. Now, while we don't send dogs, there are plenty of test animals being sent for experiments. Uh, Russians have recently been sending geckos into space to study zero-g reproduction. Do they get to come back? Yes. Good. I mean, I'm pretty sure that geckos survive gecko birth. Like on Earth, I, I think, yeah. They're not, like, sending them up there, give birth, okay, now die in space. Like, they're bringing them home. That was only one time the intent. Okay. Well, that was with dogs. I'm making sure that's not the intent with geckos. No. So, darling, what have you learned? Uh, I don't like science. (laughs) Like, Like, I do, but I don't because it's animals. Yeah, you learned that you hate science. No! You've become a Luddite of the most reactionary kind. I I, I just don't like dead dogs. Yeah, that is that. Even Independence Day didn't kill the dog. Right? That's why there's a website for this shit. So you know if the dog died or not. Oh man, John Wick would just tear through the Cold War. (laughs) Solid Snake ain't got nothing on that. I, I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I did not. I mean, I knew that dogs are sent into space. I knew there was a famous one. <laughs> I, I did not know about all the other ones. Mm-hmm. I did not know about all the death. I did not know about all the ones that did survive. So I guess there's that, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. I almost cried. Just going to say. <laughs> Pat, Pat. Yep. You made it. I made it. It's all good. I mean, the, the reason I wanted to do this episode is... To make me depressed. Well, other than that... <laughs> I knew it. ...was to talk about, like, the changing symbol of these dogs and Laika in particular. Because she is such a powerful symbol, but nobody's really clear on of what. Uh-huh. You know, she she is a, a boundary breaker. She's a pioneer. It's the, the ability of people to cross any frontier uh, with, with ingenuity and know-how. But she's also a martyr for this rocket measuring contest that was a proxy for the deaths of millions. Thankfully, we had the proxy. Uh yes. I do think it's very interesting that they, like, lied about her being alive. Yeah. Probably because people would be very upset if they would have been like, well, she died already. Well. We failed. Because they wouldn't say that. They didn't want people to know they failed. Right. They, they didn't want people to know that yeah, their, their capsules would bake you. Toasty. Yeah. And also things like Belka and Strelka, the, the Soviet Union didn't have celebrities it was sort of against the ideal uh, of this communal society but that that wasn't you know worshiping excess and the privileged yeah but these dogs still fill that slot you you could celebrity worship a dog that was Mm -hmm. okay and and you know a a hero dog that is doing all those things i said about Leica, but second yes (laughs) yeah and available for photographs and handshakes and, and such. Because that would have been really awkward if it was like a... <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. I'm but, trying to make my feel be- myself feel better. I'm making bad jokes. 
But darling, she she's all around us now. Her her ashes scattered in the atmosphere. Every day you look up in the sky, there's a little bit of Leica. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, I was like, I know Chicago's haunted, but really, <laughs> dog ghost? <laughs> oh, space 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 dust. Gotcha. But yeah, our our original space pioneer is is still with us in a sense yeah yeah so every time i look at the sky and can't see any stars because we live in chicago <laughs> i i will know she's up there mm-hmm. looking at the stars i can't look at because of light pollution <laughs> she's doing it for us yeah what a, what a good dog i'm gonna i'm gonna imagine that anytime like a shooting star goes by she's like ball ball <laughs> hot ball can't touch it so yeah, I guess that's that. That was a quick one, in part because of the uh, classified nature of some of these documents, and that a lot of these launches are just repetitive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes you go digging in history, and you find out there's not much to you, dig for. You find out dog went up, dog came down. No one thought to write anything about it afterward. <laughs> Newsies did not make memoirs. Yeah. <laughs> Thing. Things you learn. So another reason we uh, plan it for this episode is because um, between us recording it and you hearing it, we're going to be spending the weekend at the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo. Oh, yeah. So we're on a bit of a tight schedule due to real life stuff. Gotta go. And I know some of you listeners are planning to be there, so I hope you got a chance to meet us. Yeah. I hope we made that happen, and I hope we were charming, and I'm sure you were. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so with that, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with your letters and letters. such. I just got a chill from my hair being wet. <laughs> and we're back. Hello. And we got, got quite a few letters. Got some letters. Everybody wanted to talk to us about their dogs. Some people sent pictures. Uh, yep. Our, our prompt from last episode was favorite historical dog. Uh-huh. Ludovico wrote in to talk about one they love and one they despise, both <gasps> from Pompeii. Uh, their favorite historical dog is the loyal dog in plaster that stayed with their human friends during the eruption. But their least favorite is the tacky beware the dog mosaic dog at the House of the Tragic Poet that uh, was just supposed to scare off folks from, from this rich people's doorstep, which uh, Pliny uh, would wag his finger at and did, actually. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. So thanks, Ludvico. Uh, Peter sent us an email. Uh, their favorite famous dog is Scotland's most famous dog. Greyfriars Bobby, uh, a terrier who, when his owner died, refused to leave the graveside for 14 years uh, and was very celebrated, and statues can be found. And he sounds like a good little doggy. The, the loyalist of dogs. Yeah. What a little loyal fella. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. Chelsea writes in with a lightning round of past prompts. Favorite musical? Chicago. Favorite puppet? Kermit. Favorite painting? Don't know the name, but it's this lady in a white gown in an art museum in Tulsa, and it looks real nice. (laughs) 
Favorite historical couple, Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn. Favorite superhero, Hellboy, because he chose to be good in spite of being created for evil. Hellboy and I have so much in common. Yeah. 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 Thanks, Chelsea. <laughs> Callum sent us an email uh, answering an old prompt. Their favorite painting uh, is this giant painting uh, in an art gallery in their home. Uh, it's called The House of Prayer. And it's by a Scottish artist who... Hometown, by the way. <laughs> yes, hometown. Yeah. Not not their personal art gallery. Callum, home, you're loaded. Their, their hometown art gallery. Uh, but it's by a Scottish artist uh, who's very known for snowy landscapes, uh, but often travels uh, to places like Egypt and does uh, pieces that are the exact opposite of what people are used to seeing from mm -hmm. them, which sounds pretty cool. Also uh, brings up Bobby. Bobby. Bobby the Terrier. Kelm also told us about how he wants to make some History Honeys fan art, and my gosh, if you did a JJ the Horseface Horse fan art, I'd take it. <laughs> you would not be the first. Someone else did that. Callum makes the good stuff. Uh, yeah. They, they've been making some really cool things for Six Feet Under, another one of my shows, for a while. And I love every last one of them. I, I created a song for JJ. Yeah, you sing it every night yeah, when you go to sleep. Yeah, I do. It like It's like my lullaby. The episode was months ago. <laughs> JJ is the best horse. I don't understand what you have against him. <laughs> Nothing, dear. I love you. JJ, the horse face. Horse is a horse with a face of a horse called JJ. That's all I got so far. Mm -hmm. I'm working on the rest. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Callum also gave us a suggestion for Sex Archie, which if you aren't listening to our other podcast called Sex Archie, y'all should. Really, it's good. Um, it took a break this past week, so there's even more time for you to catch up. Catch up. Which was to record ourselves watching an episode live. Yeah, do sort of a commentary bit. That's a cool idea. Here's the problem, though. We, like, don't speak during the episodes. We it's, have, like, a shh, it's on. Because rule. we need to take notes. We have to pay attention. We can't miss any good quotes. There's no speaking. There's, no, like, when we had to eat dinner during the episode the other week, like, I only chewed during commercials. So I think it'd be really boring for people <laughs> but it's a nice idea we'll see what we can do thanks callum moving out of scotland and into australia claritic writes in uh her favorite historical dog was saint guinefort a greyhound venerated as a saint by its own little cult for centuries had a cult yeah uh Legend says that a knight left Gwynefert the dog to guard his baby, came back, and didn't find the kid. Assuming Gwynefert ate the child, I don't know what dogs were like back in the day. The knight killed Gwynefert, but then heard the baby crying next to the body of a viper and realized his mistake. Gwynefert had saved the child's life. So the knight took the dog's body, dropped it in a well, covered it, and turned the well into a shrine. The legend does not say what the people did without their source of water in this town. I hope they had another well. Uh, over time, locals started attributing miracles to the spirit of the dog, and this is where the cult began, uh, venerating Gwynefert as a saint of protection for infants. There, there were even some times when people abandoned their children at the shrine to be blessed by the spirit of Gwynefert, which didn't always work out so well. 
Uh, worship of him died out around 1930, a lot later than you might expect, uh, though Gwynefort was never officially canonized, which, as a, a youngin, inspired Claritic to look up the requirements for canonization, and there is no rule saying that dogs can't be saints. The well, the Catholic Church is missing out on some great opportunities here. Mm, I'm just saying the next Airbud sequel is going to be lit. Thanks, Claritic. <laughs> Are you slightly disappointed no one wrote in about Air Bud or, like, Beethoven? Yeah, I would be disappointed if people got the uh, prompt exactly wrong. Like, the perfect opposite. Well, I mean... started talking about fictional like, dogs. It's fictional, but it's historical because of my childhood. Let me talk about the great Air Bud. If Air Bud to Golden Receiver... <laughs> becomes important in like the course of human events i will eat my foot off yeah what, what about like beethoven three? <laughs> oh, that's the good one <laughs> that i could see happening but like isn't there one where like he's literally stopping like drug drug smuggling he's a good dog they're good dogs brent they're good Final Gamer writes in again to say his favorite historical dog is Bamps, the St. Bernard mascot of the Free Norwegian Forces slash Royal Norwegian Navy during World War II. A big, doofy St. Bernard. Uh, his name was Norwegian for teddy bear, and he was drafted as an official crew member and acted as a guardian. He, he broke up fights between sailors. He threw a knife-wielding thug into the sea, saving another man's life. He rescued someone who fell overboard, and he was stationed in Dundee, Scotland. If you want to find a cool, famous dog, you go to Scotland. That's yeah, what I have learned. they really like their dogs, and they got cool dogs. They got some cool dogs. Uh, he got his own bus pass in Dundee, pinned to his collar so he could just ride around on his own. No big deal. <sighs> He died at the age of seven, buried with full military honors, and his funeral was attended by hundreds of Scottish locals and Norwegian crewmen. Uh, Final Gamer goes back to talk about his favorite superhero, Toxin, the son of the symbiote Carnage, which is a deep pull! My goodness! But it also happens to be the only Marvel comics that Final Gamer read? Alright, cool! <laughs> There's a story there, I guess. But yeah, thanks Final Gamer. Blummin wrote us about their favorite historical dog as well. Uh, in our last episode, we talked about sometimes like certain events in history are only remembered really because of TV or movie or plays getting made about it mm -hmm. that keeps it known. For them, their favorite historical dog is Balto, the Siberian <laughs> husky that ran influenza vaccines through Alaska in the early 20th century. I was hoping someone would write about Balto. Yeah, and for them, the only reason they know about Balto is because of the animated movie. <laughs> uh, and it was only a couple days ago that they learned the film was based off of historical events because mm -hmm. they are not from uh, Alaska, the, Alaska or the areas around there where you would learn about this in school it's kind of a fun connection there yeah thanks Blumen. jeff is a long time listener first time writer whose first choice was of course Leica. Mm -hmm. i hope you enjoyed this episode 
But uh, because that was a bit too obvious, he wants to talk about the civilian dogs enlisted for World War II service. After Pearl Harbor, the U.S. was looking for whatever help they could get to, to kickstart the war effort. So the Army recruited a bunch of dogs from American families and were trained for all sorts of jobs. Uh, attack dogs, messenger dogs, scout dogs, sled dogs. Uh, over 10,000 dogs served in the military, and those that came back were retrained for home life with their original families. Uh, since then, dogs have stayed as an integral part of the armed forces. At this time, though, they are raised in the army and not recruited from civilian homes. There was probably a movie made about that, right? <laughs> probably. Hallmark <laughs> Hall of Fame type thing. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeff was also kind enough to send pictures of his adopted rescue dog, Phineas. Phineas is so furry. Phineas is a good-looking, handsome dog. fluffs. So thanks, Jeff. Nathan uh, is also a long-time listener, but first-time writer. And they also bring up Laika. Hey. hey. I you love Kubo. We were doing. I love Kubo, too. <laughs> it's so good. Paranorman, man. It's great. Oh, I just love Leica. <laughs> um, but the dog. They're talking but about the, the dog. dog. I hope they also love Leica films, but they are talking about the dog. does go into description of uh, a monument yeah. in a way that, uh, I don't know if it was one of the ones you were actually talking about. I did about. not mention this monument. Okay. Well, in 2008, Russia built a monument to her in Moscow, uh, and it is shaped like a dog standing on top of a rocket. Uh, and that it's is a- pretty cool. That, that is, is a pretty cool, cool monument. So thanks, Nathan. Thank you. David writes in, and David has some very strong feelings about dogs. Me too. Me too. And his favorite historical dogs, the Soviet space dogs. Yeah. Uh, he goes into detail on Belka and Strelka, telling some of the same stories that I just told to everybody hey. a little bit ago. <laughs> And he also shared some of his own puppy photos. Bentley. Bentley, a friendly little dog who followed him home and spent some time destroying sticks while they waited for his people to come and pick him up. Yeah, he had lots of sticks. Oh, wait. The biggest, the easiest way to my heart is a dog that has, like, things in its mouth. Anything. That thing you sent me earlier with the puppy... That was like, I want my ball, but it's in the water and the waves are scary. How do I get it? And the ball's like half the size of its head. You also really love dogs that carry water bottles. <gasps> yes, that one dog that used to live around here that always walked down the street with a water bottle. So thanks for your letter, David, and thank you for Bentley. <laughs> So if you would like to send us a letter, you'd like to uh, give us a show suggestion or ask a question or tell a story or answer one of our regular prompts, you can send those to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of prompts, do you have one for next episode? I know there are two in your mind fighting it out. Favorite, like, behind-the-scenes movie Fact? Yeah. Trivia? Give us your movie trivia. Like, what's what's a random thing you know about a movie being made that you just think is cool or weird <laughs> or strange? Or like, what 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 they do? That'll be a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. So again, uh, though, if you want anything read on the air, please send it to... HistoryHoney'sPodcast at gmail.com. 
But if you'd like to get in touch with us other ways, we're always available on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. And you can find that at... History Honeys. Every single one. And while we're talking about social media, I'd like to apologize to Peter, who sent us a letter that, that we just read. But he uh, wanted to talk about a favorite painting, and he sent that f- through Facebook, and I lost it. Yeah, we were trying to find it, and we don't know where it went. Which is why we try to keep it straight. Like, we, nothing gets eaten by, by the email inbox. Yeah, sometimes Facebook is weird. Yeah. So, definitely comment on stuff. Like stuff. But if you want us to read it, maybe email. Yeah. Facebook's weird. Facebook's weird it's sometimes. weird. It does things. Like, I remember seeing that it, it came... Like, notification, there's a thing. Yeah. And now I cannot find we, it. We just took a 10-minute recording break trying to, like, make it up to you, and it, it ate it. I'm sorry. I don't know where it is. <laughs> Something else I'd love for you to do is give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever else you find us. Uh, it, those it, Google Play people. Those Google Play people. Keeping We're, it real. Yeah. Uh, it, it does help us so much, the... the algorithms hunt out like-minded people with your help and we get to grow our family we've watched a lot of fast and the furious lately (laughs) we're really into the family right now so another thing you can do is tell people 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 or or dogs you can tell dogs dogs don't listen to podcasts okay when you go to the dog park and you're hanging out with the dogs you can tell the owners of the dogs About the podcast. Yeah, you just learned a lot about some dogs. Yeah, and you should be like, hey, you know what? You should listen to this podcast and learn about dogs as well. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Or maybe you should tell, like, cat people who don't like dogs because, like, they won't be emotionally distressed over the dogs dying. I don't know, but tell people. It really helps. Word of mouth is a good way to go. (laughs) That's all I got. Thanks, everybody, for listening and sticking through this emotional roller coaster of an episode. I need, like, a Reese's now. Uh, so, so we're going to have a, a candy break uh, and a little bit of, emotion, of uh, sugar therapy. Yeah. But until next time, I'm Grant. And I'm Elena. And history's better with, with your honey. honey.